0: All right, so today it is Sanctity of Life, uh, of, of um, Life Sunday, of Human Dignity. Um, just real quick, ha- have any of you been in churches that have specifically focused on this Sunday? It's, it's As you look back, it's in January every, every year. Have any of y'all been to a church that's focused on that? <coughs> Me either. All right. Now, uh, <laughs> okay. So, that's why I wanted to ask cuz as I started looking at it and I I've, I've I've heard about it before, but it's not connected to any denomination. Um it is it is um it, it's just very uh ecumenical if you will. Um and so I gr- grew up going to church from the first day I can remember, right? And I never remember a specific Sunday where you you talked about this um, i've I've always been and I hate to use the the terms of the political world, but that's unfortunately part of this story is i've always been pro-life um, i've always um, you know kind of recoiled at at, uh, at what abortion really is, even though I understand the intricacies of it and if you remember uh, last year it wasn't on this Sunday because again this is the first time that i've actually it remembered that there was a sanctity of life Sunday because I never experienced it. Right. So it, all of a sudden it jumped up and I'm like, Oh, that well, missed it again. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, but didn't miss it this time. And, uh, if you remember, this has been two years ago, we were talking about strongholds in the spiritual battle that we're facing and the, the things that kind of indicated to me that we are in a heightened spiritual Um, time where the spiritual world uh, is is kind of pushing forward in a in a new way and one of those strongholds I talked about was the change in how we view and talk about abortion that um, that there's there are many who now see that as a moral good right and that's a different from in the past Um, and and that's a, a scary thing and so I started looking at this, and again, I went down a lot of different rabbit holes, um, and uh, and so I'll try to contain um, (laughs) what was interesting to me that you may go, what is this crazy guy talking about? And there will be a few things I'm going to talk about that you probably are going to think I'm a little crazy on, um, and that's okay. But human life, the sanctity of human life, um, obviously uh, flows from a biblical worldview, um, and but the, the actual Sunday that, that this has uh, become, you know, a, an annual uh, thing, started in 1984. 1984, President Ronald Reagan is the one who started this uh, process, and it's continued ever since. I want to read his proclamation that was, was given on January 13, 1984 says, by the president of the United States of America, a proclamation, the values and freedom we cherish as Americans rest on our fundamental commitment to the sanctity of human life. The first of the unalienable rights affirmed by our Declaration of Independence is the the right to life itself, a right the Declaration states has been endowed by our creator on all human beings, whether young or old, weak or strong, healthy or handicapped. Since 1973, however, more than 15 million unborn children have died in legalized abortions. Remember, this was in 1984. A tragedy of stunning dimensions that stands in sad contrast to our belief that each life is sacred. These children, over tenfold the number of Americans lost in all our nation's wars, will never laugh, never sing, never experience the joy of human love, nor will they strive to heal the sick or feed the poor or make peace (coughs) among nations. Abortion has de- denied them the first and most basic of human rights, and we are infin- infinitely poor for their loss. We are poor not simply for lives not led and for contributions not made, but also for the erosion of our sense of worth and dignity of every individual. To diminish the value of one category of human life is to m- diminish us all. Slavery, which treated blacks as something less than human, to be bought and sold if convenient, cheapened human life, and mocked our dedication to the freedom and equality of all men and women? Can we say that abortion, which treats the unborn as something less than human, to be destroyed if convenient, will be less corrosive to the values we hold dear? We have been given the precious gift of human life, made more precious still by our birth in the in our pilgrimage to a land of freedom, It is fitting, then, on the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade that struck down state anti-abortion laws that we reflect anew on these blessings and on our corresponding responsibility to guard with care the lives and freedoms of even the weakest of our fellow human beings. Now, therefore, I, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim Sunday, January 22, 1984, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day, I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. It's a pretty powerful statement. A very powerful statement. Very concise. Here's... here's the problem, here's the issue. Shouldn't be a political thing, but we're in a spiritual war, so it's been made a political thing. 15 million had been uh, aborted at that time. That number's over 60 million now. We have had some major changes. He talked about Roe versus Wade. That has been overturned, and and that we should praise God for. However, it was just a small victory, really. I mean, it was a huge victory, but the impact of it is is yet to be found because what it did is it put it back in states' hands. And while there are many states who have um, restricted abortion more, there are states who have actually increased because of Roe versus Wade now giving them the freedom to even increase. And that's actually part of whenever I say things have changed in the original Roe versus Wade um, uh, ruling actually had a limit, put limits on when uh, abortions could happen. Now we, we, we don't even want limits, right? It's those who are supportive of this. Which is a uh, it it is the logical question, because it's either life or it's not, right? And so when you start kind of getting into all the little arguments, I mean, if if you step back and think rationally, what we argue about, none of it makes sense. Like we argue, say, well, it's maybe a fifteen week. Oh, okay. So why is it life at fifteen weeks and not life? At 14 weeks, six days. Why? Right? I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. Right? If it's life at 20 weeks, why is it not life at 19 weeks? If it's life at six weeks, why is it not life at three weeks? Right? And ironically, as we've become more medically advanced, we recognize, oh, it shows a lot more signs of what we consider life at a really early uh, time than we ever thought, right? We can detect heartbeats really early on. And then there's this crazy stuff called DNA that within hmm, conception, there's a new strain of DNA that has been created. And science will tell us that DNA is the building block of what? Life. Okay, so I just, we, we all need to understand how stupid of an argument this is. And everyone knows it deep down. Okay, but I understand how we've gotten to where we are as well. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of deception that has led to it. There's a lot of what is politically viable, right? And frankly, there's a lot of politicians who are, quote, pro-life, who just use that to get votes because they know they have to say they're pro-life in order to win elections. In fact, many more than you would be comfortable With, I believe. But first thing is, is this what the Bible teaches? Does a Bible, biblical perspective tell us that human life is important? Obviously, right? (laughs) Like it's hard for me to even say that question, but there are many Christians and many professors in seminary and many pastors who will make a biblical argument that actually supports abortion at some point to some degree i it, it boggles my mind just just let's just be honest and say listen we're just uncomfortable making people feel bad about decisions that they've made and so we're just going to kind of gloss over this don't try to tell me that scripture is supportive of this. There are so many scriptures, just a a few. You have uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, verse 5. At some point this year, I am going to be wearing glasses. (laughs) (sighs) Do what? It is up there. I know, and it's actually on my paper too. Before... (laughs) Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I knew you, right. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. before one of them came to be. That's, that's beautiful po- poetry right there. And that's what people will say, is people will say, well, that's just poetic. It's talking about how God did, you know, uh, make us, that he is creator, but it, it doesn't really speak to, to spe- abortion specifically. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe it is poetry that doesn't mean it's not true. right? but so so let's let's get it. and then people say, you know, the bible and Jesus says so you you have to you have to be really smart to say things like this. you know, Jesus never talked about abortion. and we know that abortion was happening in the Roman empire. so if it was something so important, why wouldn't Jesus have specifically talked about abortion? Now you are all smarter. Okay. Jesus didn't talk about every specific sin that is out there. Jesus probably figured one of the 10 that you've known for a long time that says, do not murder. I, I, I'm just going to go with that, right? Like, like Jesus probably said, you know, y'all are smart enough to figure this out. We are so smart now that we can't understand that. Right? But are there some more specific places in the Bible that lend credibility to specific to to abortion? Well, let's go back a little further to Exodus. Exodus 21 and this is in those places where, you know, because we're so evolved uh, as humans that, uh, we don't, and we don't like the, the rules and the consequences for rules, right? We think we can do a lot better. Uh, but in Exodus, it's laying that out. It's laying, okay, here's how you apply these 10 commandments, how they apply to a broad range of human interaction, right? And, and, uh, and, and here's, here's how you look at those. Uh, verse 21, Anyone who beats their male or fleet, no, 22, sorry. That one's a good one too, but (laughs) if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, real quickly, I know we look at that, uh, you know, uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we say, oh, how barbaric. No, that was actually a limiting principle. It was was, uh, very advanced for the day. It was saying, yes, there needs to be justice for wrong things, but it needs to meet the crime, right? So if someone steps on your foot you don't cut their head off right right so it's that's what it was doing it was limiting so if you took a life then the punishment for that was equal you give your life specifically that illustration it's very interesting whenever it says if it causes a birth so it causes a miscarriage of some sort right if the baby lives, then you work out the punishment. And it doesn't give a specific, because those are kind of, it's like, okay, that, that's gonna be the hard part, right? Well, well, how how long does someone go into jail for stealing a pack of gum, right? It's those debates, right? And there were court systems set up where the, the two people would go and they would figure out, okay, what do you do? You uh, You injured my wife. And she gave birth. Thankfully, the baby is alive. But that doesn't take away the fact that you did something wrong. So let's figure out the restitution here. However, the scripture is very specific when it says if that premature birth leads to the ending of that life, not the life of the mother. It's talking about the life of what was born. If that life ends, so does yours because God sees all life as life and that life in the womb is just as precious and valuable as the life outside of the womb. It is clear, do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Now, I understand when we start applying that in the real world, it can get sticky. I get that. I get that having a child will change your life. It will make your life harder. No matter what circumstance it happens in. But it will definitely make your life harder having a child at an early age when you're not married. It will impact your future. And I, I understand the thought behind, well, how can we let one mistake, you know, destroy someone's life? I, I, I understand the premise there. But every action has a consequence. And guess what? This one, you kind of know the consequence. Like, why was sex created? To procreate. Like that, that is the the first reason for it. Right? And and God, God designed all of that. And He didn't hide that from us. He created us to desire to procreate. Why? Because life is precious, and God wants life to continue. And he has given us the opportunity to participate that in a beautiful way, right? It is so much different than just the animals, right? Drive by a field filled with cows and a couple of bulls. There's nothing precious about that, (laughs) Necessary, but it's strictly about procreation, right? God did something very different for us. He blessed us with this. It is a blessing. It is something that draws you together with your partner in ways that you cannot explain. And it prepares you to then when the consequences of having sex together, when the consequences happen, you are now prepared to take care of that life and nurture that life to come to know God. That's the plan that he gave. The whole argument actually revolves around, we don't like the plan that God gave. Now here's where this gets like I said, lots of rabbit holes. So I started thinking about this because it is, it is easy to see from a biblical perspective, from a logical perspective, that life is important and that we should not be in any way encouraging people to end that life early. Right? It, it just doesn't. So, how did we get to this place where people are so passionate and literally shout their abortions? There's literally a a clinic that's being built, I think, in New Mexico, the, where people can come to have abortions, and they uh, call it. It's a satanic ritual abortion. It. We are down a rabbit hole, whether you know it or not, right? It is, it is ugly. Now, this is not everyone, obviously, and it's not everyone who is, quote, pro-choice. Would they take it this far? But, but we have gone a long way from, well, safe, legal, and rare for those rare occasions where this is going to be difficult. You know, we need to give that, you know, the, the woman the choice. We, we've moved a long way from that, which, by the way, was just a subtle lie from the pit of hell, but we have gone a long way from that to now where we celebrate. And abortions are called rituals within some circles. How did we get here? Right? And you can always, it's always important to know the roots of the tree. Right? Whenever you look at the fruit, it's important to know what the roots are. Well, this spiritual battle has been going on a long time. and you can kind of trace, especially if you look at Planned Parenthood, um, they have been probably the top instigator in a practical way of providing this service and pushing this service. right And um, it, it began back in the, the early 1900s um, with, with some, where, the, where the elite and the sophisticated were going, and they were they were talking about eugenics and things like that, and and these are things that you may never have heard these, but this influences society, right? And there's a, <laughs> I first of all want to say this is a quote that just came out um, this last week um, about artificial intelligence, and it it symbolizes something that is at the root of this ugly spiritual tree says, this was the quote, there is nothing that cannot be controlled or governed by humankind for better use. And this is one of the easiest and simplest technologies. What is needed is that it is governed properly and I'm sure it will happen. Now, I want you to listen closely to that mentality that there is nothing that cannot be controlled or governed by human hands for better use. So the idea there is that we are able to control things to bring about good. There's someone else who said something like that. It's in the first couple pages of the Bible. And it was the scripture uh, where the serpent says to Eve, Well, did God really say that? No, He He just doesn't want you to become like Him. That statement is the belief that we are God, okay? That's the statement that is behind eugenics. I'm gonna introduce you to, you've probably heard of this lady, Margaret Sanger. In her book that she wrote in 1932, My Way to Peace, the book argues that to preserve racial hygiene, the government should enact three coercive measures First, it should sterilize those with mental and physical disabilities, including, quote, for Facebook, I'm quoting, I did not write this, morons, mental defectives, epileptics. Second, it should segregate on state-run concentration farms a much broader public impoverishment, um, impoverished and criminal citizens, including paupers, prostitutes, drug addicts, illiterates, and the unemployed, if the second group reformed its behavior and accepted sterilization, it could return to mainstream society. By Sanger's own estimate, 15 million to 20 million citizens would live under this regi- regime of segregation and sterilization. This is in 1932, by the way, 15 to 20 million of our population, and then? It's a large percentage. The third initiative would be obligatory birth control training training for mothers with serious diseases such as heart disease in an effort to persuade them such as heart disease in an effort to persuade them to renounce any future childbearing oh that's a lovely root system isn't it margaret sanger was celebrated by planned parenthood For years, and anyone who claimed that any of this was true, they would say, no, no, that's not what she meant. You bigot, why would you bring up that? She was a a pioneer. Just a couple of years ago, they quietly took Margaret Sanger's name off of some of their stuff. One of Sanger's most cherished initiatives was the Negro Project which targeted predominantly black neighborhoods for birth control programs and recruited African-American leaders to persuade minority populations of the value of contraception and sterilization. In a 1939 letter to Clarence Gamble, the grandson of Procter and Gamble, he was in that line, Sanger revealed the racial underpinnings of her delicate project. Quote, we don't want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the African-American minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Founder of Planned Parenthood. Went down the rabbit hole a little bit more. One of the people that she spent a lot of time with, the guy from Britain, name of havelock ellis you've ne- probably never heard of this name if you have I mean, I mean he was just a an academic but he was big into eugenics big into figuring out how can we how can we make the human race better and you realize well we've got to get people to quit breeding with those underlings right and uh he he, he favored feminism from a eugenic perspective feeling that enhanced social, economic, and sexual choices that feminism provided for women would result in women choosing partners who were more eugenically sound. In his views, intelligent women would not choose, um, nor be forced to marry and procreate with feeble-minded men. From a eugenic perspective, birth control was an invaluable instrument for the elevation of the race. However, he noted that birth control could not be used randomly in a way that could have detrimental impact on reducing uh, conception, but rather needed to be used in a targeted manner to improve the qualities of certain stocks. He observed that it was the superior stocks who had knowledge of and used birth control, while the inferior propagated without checks. Ellis' solution was a focus on contraception and education. What group is impacted by abortion today more than any other group? It's those lower-income those in poverty, those of minority community. From the very beginning, they were thinking, how can we target those that we deem less than? A real quick jump down the rabbit hole here connects this to, this is a spiritual battle in folks that we, we have no idea. Havelock Ellis was big into psychedelics, and this—just bear with me. You—you—you will probably think I'm a lunatic, and that's okay. But he—he uh, he wrote a lot about it and had experience with, you know, kind of what what we would call ayahuasca now. It's peyote. There's all kinds of things that was connected throughout history with religious rituals. Throughout history of the world, human sacrifice has been the norm. Doesn't matter what continent you're looking at, there has been elements of that and it's connected to religious rituals that have a lot of people going into these kind of meditational places. This is why whenever um, God in the Old Testament, he calls Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, and we're like, oh, what a horrible God that is. Why would he do that? Why did Abraham follow that? Because every other culture did that. And so Abraham was like, well, I guess this is one too. All the other gods we've been told about have asked us to sacrifice our children. I guess this one's not any different. And so Abraham follows, and then God intentionally holds his hand back and says, no. And he says, this is evil. Human sacrifice is abhorrent, but it was common. And it has been common. And the spiritual forces that were behind that, behind those pagan deities, they have not been cast into hell yet. They will be, but they have not. And as Christianity arose and it went to these different cultures, the thing that it always encountered was this demonic, pagan uh, rituals that would have human sacrifice, child sacrifice, and it had to push it out everywhere it went. And it did. But it's coming back again. And going back to this guy, he was big into psychedelics. He went into that stuff. You read about that. One thing that is common, is crazy, and it, but it's true, it's crazy. You read people's experiences that are doing this for spiritual reasons, right? Like they're going into that many times they talk about encountering different beings. And sometimes they, they present themselves in different ways. And it's, I mean, it's a trip, right? It's an acid trip. But many of them talk about encountering and, 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 and makes them feel good and gives them wisdom encountering serpent-like entities. And those serpent-like entities, while they're in this, uh, this state, whisper unknown knowledge to them. Now, I don't know what to do with all of that. Except that I know that Havelock Ellis and Margaret Sanger, their views were straight from the pit of hell. Right. I don't know how they came up with them, but my... Recommendation to, you, recommendation to you is don't do acid trips and seek out entities. God is not going to talk to you through that way. And by the way, I want to, in, in a very serious way, there are starting to be Christians who are like, hey, this is a really wh- good way to go to a second spiritual plane. Bull crap. That stuff, you will enter into a world that you we have been commanded to stay out of. God didn't say stay away from the witchcraft and all of that stuff, because it was fake. He said to stay away from it because it was real, and it wants to destroy you, and it's connected. And now, what do we do? We've we've seen human sacrifice throughout history, and now we've become so sophisticated. We are more effective at it than any other culture, and we don't even see it happening, and we think it's a political issue. It is ridiculous. And the saddest thing about it, One of the reasons churches haven't talked about this stuff is because it makes people feel bad about why they support it. Maybe it makes them feel bad about who they vote for. But a lot of times it feels bad because many people have had abortions. They have been lied to and said, this is the best option. And I don't want anyone to feel bad. I don't want you to feel like, Oh man, he's just preaching at me, telling me how horrible I am because I had an abortion. No, we're, I understand it. We're in a spiritual battle that's pulling us in all directions and it is easy to make a decision like that. But what is re- horrible that churches haven't addressed is because we actually don't believe what we preach. We would rather people feel comfortable and good about themselves here in this earth Rather than giving them the answer that brings about eternal life and brings about true healing here in this earth, you know what the answer? If you're looking at someone who made a horrible choice and had an abortion, and they're broken, and they're angry, and they're mad, and they don't want to hear that what they did was murder, the answer is not to say, "You know what? We've moved and progressed a long time." That that's not really a life, it's a clump of cells. Because guess what? That person, no matter what they're trying to do, they know that it was a life. And they're they're trying to find answers and comfort from a human pagan world. And it, it can deceive for a while, but it does not heal. You know what heals you whenever you have committed an atrocity? The saving power of Jesus Christ. And as churches, that we haven't engaged in this and looked at people who have had an abortion and said, my heart breaks for you, but you sinned. But Jesus Christ is greater than your sin. And he can forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you from that horrible choice. And it's going to be part of you for the rest of your life. Yes, but God is a God who overcomes our mistakes and gives us a fulfilling life all the time if we allow him to do it. And shame on us as Christians for not sharing this message. I don't care about the political junk that goes around all all around that. We can have those conversations later. But we have the answer. We have the answer, one, that life is precious and that that. Even if you make a mistake, that life is still precious. And there are different options that you can take that values that life and values your life. And then for those who have been caught in it and have got, had abortion after abortion because we believe this garbage that led to a sexual revolution that we had to get, we, we were like, man, if, if we just have free sex all the time, we're just going to have kids everywhere. This is going to be horrible. We've got to figure out a way to control this. Right? And it, it, all these lies that we're going through and people that are struggling with those lies because they believe them, we have the answer. Jesus Christ will forgive you, wants to forgive you. And wants to give you life abundantly, even after you have done, even after you have taken life. Because God's forgiveness is greater. That's the message that we should be giving. We need to pray for all those who struggle, who are caught up in this lies of our culture. And frankly, our culture deserves to be judged. But even in judgment, we find mercy through Christ and Christ alone. Let's go to him in prayer.